Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing. Edie Falco played Carmela Soprano on the groundbreaking HBO show about an Italian-American mob family from New Jersey. You know what I don't understand, Tony? What does she have that I don't have? The late, great James Gandolfini played her husband, Tony. It wasn't Edie's big break before The Sopranos. Edie worked with Tom Fontana on the HBO series Oz. But it's safe to say the role of Carmela made her career. TV Guide named The Sopranos the best television show in history. I didn't have any sense of the gravity of what we were doing. Yeah. I might, might have just been because I was dumb. <laughs> I didn't realize what, you know, the, the larger themes at play there. But I just enjoyed it. And it was still a novelty to be working on something that was good, that people enjoyed, that seemed to be well-received. Yeah. yeah, that was the excitement of being on something good was still very new. And I wonder, when you did the show, was it fun and pleasant? Was it really tough? Was it work? No, it was fun and pleasant because right. the, it was there was a lighthearted atmosphere. The writing was funny. There was a lot of really funny stuff. And it was a lot of these sort of goomba guys yeah, who were just— cutting up. felt like family to me and, and uh, very easy to be with. Did you participate in the writing of the kid? Did you just turn that all over? You never got involved in that? Not at all. I was not at all interested. I had so much trust in certainly David Chase, but in all the staff that he had carefully chosen, handpicked. I felt like they knew what they were doing. They had a much better overview of what the story was about as opposed to what would Carmela do in here, you know? I just thought it was a huge relief to know that I could just let them do their thing and I would do what I was hired to do. I felt completely comfortable with that. Did they put things about you in the characters? They got, I mean, Tina Fey, when I did 30 Rock, was someone who, the moment you told a story, there it was, was an embarrassing uh, anecdote. It was in the show. Absolutely. Jim said that all the time. He's like, I can't talk to anybody about anything. About it. <laughs> it's going to be in the next episode. But I didn't notice it so much from my life. I, there was nothing going on in my life that was all that interesting, so I didn't see a lot of it in the scripts. But I, I, I know they, like I guess every show, to some extent, they start writing for the actors that have been hired. Like, um... 
Aida's character, Aida Totoro, who played his sister, was supposed to be a very different thing. It was supposed to be more like the mom, sort of cold and calculating and unkind. And because Aida Totoro was doing it, it, it sort of morphed into this whole other, like, Parvati, that phase that she went through where she was sort of like an earth child. And so, yeah, I'm sure they were writing based on what they perceived me to be, but I was I was not entirely cognizant of that Why do you think they hired you for that part? Because you said, I read an interview where you talked about how you went and you just relaxed and said, hey, if this happens, it happens. Right. Which we all go through. Sure. Where you sometimes sit there and go, I, I can't stress about another interview. That's right. What do you think they hired you for? I couldn't begin to tell you. I think I think probably because of that, because I was completely non-stressed. It was a, uh, a, a script that had been bouncing around for a while, but I was doing Oz at the time, and I was working right. a lot, yes. and I kind of was all caught up in that, and it came along, and it was called Sopranos, and I thought it's about singers or something, and right. it's a, you know, uh, Italian-American, yeah, yeah, right. Italian-American uh, woman, wife, and I thought that's, I never get cast as that. I know who's going to get cast. I figured it's, you know, Annabella Shore or Marissa. Tomei or some of these women who had played parts that sort of felt similar to that, there's no better place to be in when you walk into an audition than knowing you're not going to get it and not caring. So, uh, you know, I really just sort of enjoyed myself and thought it's just another audition. And if you're in a good head, you can never not learn something from an audition. So I just went in and had fun. And you inadvertently, you present your best self when you're doing that. And I guess, I don't know, I was relaxed and I enjoyed myself. So I guess that's what they saw. I don't know. And when you got the job, was that something that was just floored you? Were you ecstatic about getting the job? Well, remember, so you just just a pilot you get cast for, you right. know. So at that point, it was whatever it was, two weeks of work, and it was a sum of money I had never seen before, which now seems not all that shocking. But at the, back in the day, it meant I could pay off my student loan, and so I was able to, with that one check, completely pay off my student loan. It was huge. It was a huge occurrence. But again, two weeks of work and then on to the next panic thing, you know, about what, what to do next. And so how soon after the pilot was shot? I think it was a year. Were you told? So you waited a year yeah. to be told this was going to move forward. And David Chase called me and said, I just want to let you know this has been picked up. This is after we shot the pilot and he said, well, nobody's going to watch this thing, but I'm proud of what we made or whatever. And uh, David was also, apparently, he put his head in his hand and said, oh, no, when he found out it was picked up, because I don't think he had intended to have to tell more about these people. I think he was trying to get a movie made, and this was almost like a spec script or something. Right. I, you this know, is a demo reel. I don't think he had anticipated this going oh on God. like this. So he was had his head in his hands. Jimmy's like, what am I doing? And I'm like, I can pay my student loan. And, you know, here it is 4,000 years later, and, and uh, just goes to show you. You wake up every day, you have no idea what anything's going to turn into. So, Well, two things that, that come to mind for me. One, I probably told you this before in, when I would run into you, but one was I never watched TV. I just didn't have time. And I hit this period toward the last probably four seasons, definitely, maybe five. I don't want to say obsession, but my fondness for you and your character. Hmm. I remember I'd watch you and go, oh, my God, I've got to be married to that kind of woman. <laughs> Who's going to stick by me through thick and thin and make smart choices. Right. And she's a good partner. Right. Did you sense that when you were doing it? I loved it for that reason. Because it was everything that I was not, (laughs) you know. I mean, it was a, you know, I was a single woman living in New York, didn't have kids. And here I was ensconced in this life that I saw my grandparents live, you know. Married with kids, deeply entrenched in a community uh, of people. Family gatherings were huge, you know. 
everything that, and even with Jim, feeling like I was attached to a big man who would take care of stuff. It was a tremendously um, invigorating uh, place to inhabit while I was working. It was completely diametrically opposed to what I lived when I left the set. And for that reason, I absolutely What did you it. live when you left the set? The life of a single actress in Manhattan. You know, I had a relatively small apartment. I had my dog. I had my dates. And, but it was not, you know, at all what a lot other women my age, let's say, in the Midwest or certainly in my family back a number of generations Was everything with you about work? With. Work was primary. Yeah. And work I Work was it. your boyfriend. It was. It and was. And you dated other guys on the side. Yes, exactly. But work was the main work commitment. Was, it was. And I was thrilled for it. Thrilled for it. Just loved it. When you grew up, what town did you grow up in? I grew up on the South Shore. So and Bayshore and West Islip. And then okay. we moved to Northport when I was in high school. And when you were growing up, what was your relationship to Broadway, uh, television, film, watching TV? How did you absorb culture and media when you were a child? A lot of TV. But, you know, Brady Bunch and Partridge Family, really. All the the same, whatever time those shows were on, we would sit around and watch them and match game 74, which is totally... Uh, dating me, but after school. Sure. Um, I was addicted to match games. Yeah, before. me too. With what's his name? Richard Dawson with that crazy yeah. long... Gene Rayburn with Gene a Rayburn. long right, right, antenna. Right. That's right. The microphone looked like an antenna. <laughs> and it's smoking. And sit there. He said, Lori likes to blank. Yeah. <laughs> when her and husband comes home with a says. bowl full of blank. <laughs> you know, and they, I love that show, <laughs> Blank. Me too, me too, me too. So yes, I watched a lot of TV like all kids my age, but it seemed like something far, far away from my experience. It was, you know, I mean, as far as participating in it in any way other than being an observer. So it's very crazy. I don't know what happened that I am in Broadway theater. Here. Were you jumping on the bus in school trips to come to New York? Like when I was a kid, same yeah. background, trips to Broadway and watching people do it live. And yeah. Thinking, oh, my God, how do they do that? Yeah, yeah. There the were courage. a couple of those bus trips from, from Long Island, for sure. That was thrilling. Like Sweeney Todd was one of the first things I saw where I thought, oh, I got to, well, I don't know how, but I got to. You did feel that way. Oh, my God, that one show. How I old just, were you when you first had a sense that you wanted to do that for a living? Seriously do it for a living? Well, I didn't know that I could ever do it for a living. I think until it, I was able to do it for a living, I thought I would just do it as after my waitressing gig, you know? It, the idea that I could support myself with it was sort of preposterous. I, um, but my mom was an actress. She did stuff at Arena Players in Farmingdale and Broad Hollow Theater in Huntington all around Long Island. But she had a job, and she would do her plays in the weekends and at night, and I sort of thought, What was oh. her job? Many different jobs, but she was a uh, she was a DJ at WGLI, was a station on Long Island. She was a copywriter, and she did a million different things. She decided she wanted a job, and she would get it. But then at night, she'd do her plays, and I thought that's what you do when you want to be an actor. How I just many didn't siblings think. do you have? I've got an older brother, younger brother, and a younger sister. That's four. Four of us all told, yes. And were any of them also interested in the theater? Not at all. Even though your mother was an actress, yeah. a legit actress. And your yeah. father was a pa- uh, musician? Painter, artist, and he was a musician for when he was younger. But then he went on to do sculpture and painting. And, and your parents got divorced when you were how old? I have no idea. Because they got divorced, and then they remarried each other two other times. So it was a very complicated childhood with that stuff. Oh, they stuff. remarried each yes. other? Yes, yeah, and then divorced and remarried and divorced. And I don't even know so what they are right now. So if you don't mind because I want to make a movie out of this, oh, actually. God. I want to play this. They got divorced, and when they would get divorced, how long were they apart before they reunited? A matter of months? Or no <laughs> longer. It was for the first time was a number of years. And, you know, they kind of, the kids were pitted against each other. Or the, against, and then we found out the parents were sort of hanging out with each other again. It was... 
you know, horrifying for the kids that they would suddenly get together again and then they would have a ceremony and we would witness their wedding. It was, you know, I don't know, led to some psychological issues that I'm working on as we speak. But well, we'll yeah. get to that. We'll yeah, get to right. that. And none of your siblings had the bug. They Not at all. Not, I mean, and how did you quite form- the opposite. And so, so did this become formal for you only when you go to purchase or had you done plays before you went to school? Community theater plays, nothing to—and school plays, you know, but nothing very serious. Um, And then I went to purchase first as a liberal arts person, and uh, I saw my—some actor friends had gone into purchase in the the program, and I thought I I wanted to be there. And that program had grown. Yes, each year. And now it's become this very estimable program on the East Coast. Yeah. Big time. So I auditioned and went the next year as an acting student. And did you graduate? Did you finish? I did. I did. And then when you finished, what did you do? Well, uh, do you remember the league auditions, that whole thing? So we had the league auditions, and from those auditions, I I got a part in a movie where I had to be on set the day after I graduated. And I thought, you know, what's everybody talking about? (laughs) This is so easy. I just kind of glided my way into this career. I didn't do anything for five-plus years after that, but did a movie called Sweet Lorraine that was uh, done up in the Catskills with— the guy's name was Steve Gomer, the director. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Who else was in the movie with you? Evan Handler. Evan Giancarlo Handler. Esposito. Oh, my God. Todd Graff. Maureen Stapleton. Trini so Alvarado. Uh, like, yeah, a bunch of people, yeah. Evan Handler, who was in uh, I Hate Hamlet. Yes. Yeah, the legendary production of I Hate Hamlet. Yes, that's right. And that was your first gig, was that film? My first gig, yeah. How did that go? It was... Uh, did it drive you dreamy. forward? Dreamy. It, it sure was. did. Well, it was. I couldn't believe I was on a movie set, you know. It was a huge thing, and I had just graduated from school, and it was crazily exciting. You know, what the heck were we, like eight weeks up in the Catskills, I think it was, and kind of fell in love with all the boys in the show. <laughs> you know, it was like being a sleepaway camp. And I remember when my agent said, I hope you're sitting down. You booked that movie, and you're going to get paid more money than you have ever seen in your life. They're going to pay you $2,000 a week, <laughs> which was more money than I had ever seen in you, my had life. Had you been waitressing? Uh, not yet. I, I, uh, no, except on Long Island. I hadn't really had Right to. out of purchase, you got right the movie. Right out of purchase. So it was after the movie, the waitressing began. Oh, yes. In, in, yeah. in to try to keep up that $2,000 week income. That's right. <laughs> Hey, you, were, you, were, you were at the Rainbow Room. I was living You were in the champagne counter exactly at the Rainbow right. Room. exactly right. Thinking it would be consistent, yes, but no. Where did you waitress? Oh, gosh, a million places, but uh, formerly Joe's in the West Village, which is gone. When you leave those places, you left because you got a job? Uh, oftentimes, you- yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I mean, one waitressing job I was fired from because my, I had a bad attitude, I was told. He didn't know the half of it, but um, I guess— yeah, I guess I got a job or I don't know. Or Did you ever money for a long bad. time as a waitress? Not really. I mean, not terribly long. I, I was miserably unhappy. I really tried so hard. I was a good waitress in so far as how many tables I could handle. But if I had to make eye contact with anybody, I would fall Why apart. Why was that so hard? I just uh, – they were – mean and the people would you know you they i take their order and they wouldn't look at me and they'd be like you know just rude and yeah I, there's no connection nothing and that i just bothered it was you. awful it was awful i just felt you know it was gross and i had you know margarita juice all over my clothes most of the, it was just disgusting why does any waiter hate being a waiter i mean and for the people who like it god bless them but um i was not one of them what was the job for you that ended that? Like, when did you get a job and then you never went back again? You only made a living as an actress. Uh, I was waitressing at a place called Canyon Road on 77th and 1st. It was the last waitressing job I had. I worked there with Paul Schulze, my friend, who has actually been on a bunch of my shows with me, my, a great actor friend. 
And he was bartending, and I went off to do a thing called Cost of Living, a low-budget independent thing, and uh, I left, and I was about to come back to the restaurant job, and I just had one of those sort of grace moments where I thought, no, I'm, I'm not going to come back. I don't know how this is going to work, but uh, I'm not going to waitress anymore. It really was one. It was a total leap of faith. I just I'm gonna be homeless. didn't have a plan. I'm going to live in a wash machine box. Which seemed I picked out the box. preferable to taking another order at that restaurant. So a lovely restaurant, but just I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so, yeah, and at that, I don't know, I guess um, Oz happened shortly after I talk that, about maybe. That. So what was the experience like working with Fontana? Um, you know Tom, right? I, oh, I've met him a couple times. Yeah. I, I, I love him. He was one of those angel guys, you know, because I had done a movie called Laws of Gravity with a bunch of people from Purchase. And it got some attention. It played the sort of Sundance and the, the uh, festival circuit. Tom saw it and decided he wanted to use me for stuff. And so he put me in um, a series called Firehouse um, about EMT workers and fire people or whatever. Dean Winters was my husband in that show, and um, then he cast me in Homicide, uh, or maybe it was the other way around. He just, he kept putting me in stuff when I wasn't really working much, and then he said, I'm doing the series about a prison. I have two parts. You can play the nun, or you can play the correction officer. Which part do you want to play? I said, I'll, I'll be the correction officer. <laughs> and that was, uh, you know, he, and he just decided he was going to take care of me, and he did, and he did for many years. You, and were, in, just, you, you were in his troupe. I was in his, his troupe. His troupe, yeah. And I was just th- How just many seasons did you do? Of Oz? Yeah. Gosh, you know, I have no idea, actually, come to think of it. More than a couple? Yeah, maybe three or did four. Did you rape anybody? Didn't you rape, didn't you, like, sexually abuse people, you too? You know what? I would think I'd remember that, but, uh... You didn't. You I were, did not. You weren't, you, weren't a, you weren't a bad person? I was not a bad person. I was a Wasn't there somebody else? Tough woman must have been in a man's woman. job. Maybe there was another woman who was a, who was a matron there in the cup. Co- because I'll always so. remember the, the great actress who I worked with once, Shirley Stoller. Do you remember Shirley Stoller? Shirley Stoller, who was an opera singer. She was a very large woman. She played, like, the prison matron on, like, One Life to Live. She was on the soap, and she'd be like, you know, get in that cell, see? She would think this Cagney guy, <laughs> get in the cell now, see? But you were not from no, the Shirley Stoller School of not. Prison Matron. I was not. I was ineffectual, I think, because I was, uh, I was sort of quiet, and I wasn't mean enough, and I was, yeah, I didn't, I think I, there was no work to be had in Boy, whatever Fontana the town really liked was. you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just kept I, you on. Totally. I was just so crazy grateful for the work, and I remember, it was before cell phones, I remember t- uh, Terry Kinney was on the show with me, and he was the first person I ever knew who had his own phone. I just thought he was the coolest, coolest thing going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know, it was fun. It was really, really fun, and it was great to have a steady gig. And, and then after that, what did you do? How long between that and The Sopranos? Not long. I was doing, you know, I was doing uh, Frankie and Johnny? That that was during Sopranos. I think that was during two seasons of Sopranos. But I was doing Oz, and then I was doing Sideman, a play that I did for a very long time. And I was doing Oz at night and Sideman during the day, and then Sopranos came in. And so I was doing, there was a period of time where I was doing sort of all three of them. And I thought, because they were so great and I couldn't say no to anything, but I was very unhappy because I was exhausted and sick most of the time, screaming my voice out, and it was uh, an embarrassment of riches, but I might have done better to say no to one of them, but be that as it may, it was uh, at a time when I couldn't imagine not doing any of those jobs. After all, before donning acrylic nails for Carmela, Edie Falco made money in some memorable ways. She dressed up as Cookie Monster and beckoned people onto the dance floor at weddings. Take a listen to other actresses like Kathleen Turner in our archives. 
Kathleen told me what she thought about working in television. I just hated the commitment. I hated the idea of being that tied down. I thought mm -hmm. if I had to do the same character year after year, I would definitely slit my throat. To hear more from Kathleen Turner, go to heresthething.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. My guest today, Edie Falco, plays Jackie Payton, an emergency room nurse, mother, and an addict on Showtime's Nurse Jackie. All right, you know what I would have done in the past? Lied. Sweetie, I have a sponsor. I am going to meetings. I am okay. And I'm going to keep on being okay because I have too much to lose. Long before she played a nurse, Edie Falco was a patient. During her tenure at The Sopranos, she found a lump in her breast, got a biopsy, and then the news. They said, yeah, no, there's, you have cancer. And I think when, those, when someone said those 
words to me. Like every cell in your body changes shape for a second, and you will never really be the same. You know, they're, they're certainly growing up on Long Island or maybe anybody in our generation growing up anywhere. When you heard those words, the next thing you were doing was buying an outfit for that funeral. Sure. I mean, it's the Woody Allen movie. He walks out of the doctor. He's like, oh, God. Oh, God. You know, he's like, they tell me he has a brain tumor. And he's walking to the street. I'm going to die. Oh, God. <laughs> he just fantasizes about his death. That was it, though. That was reality. So, I mean, it's not anymore. Thank God. But. Yeah, it was terrifying. Now, without getting into any detail, the treatment and such, was it something that was prolonged? Did it interfere with the show? Nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about it. Except for Eileen Landris, the producer of the show. I had to tell her because they, they were trying to schedule around my chemo because it did, you know, it knocks you out. So Your chemo for how long? You know what? It's so funny. I, about traumatic things, I remember them weirdly. The whole thing took, I guess, about a year between surgery, chemo, and radiation. I think it took about a year. I think that's right. A year. Yeah. And it affected the schedule of the show. No. That show was how many months out of the year? It varied. You know, it went from, it started like. from four to nine. That's right. It started as like eight days an episode, and by the end it was like 30 days an episode. People would always say that to me. How does that Sopranos work? They said that no one knows. Yeah, I I ended up getting paid like five bucks an hour towards the end. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. (laughs) But uh, during that time, no, nobody knew about it. They, they, I showed up. You didn't want people to know about it. I didn't. You're very private. I'm very private. You are very private. But also, I don't do well you're when people are— You're private about your private. <laughs> I don't do well when people are like, so how are you feeling? You, know, you I, don't it, want that attention. I was—the truth is we were working such crazy hours that everybody on set looked worse than I did. They were just exhausted. Nobody was sleeping. And I yeah. looked like Kimo the one who was, was taking a care of myself. Right? I get to lie down in That's a room right, when exactly. I drip the shit and in me. Somebody's taking care of me and wiping my forehead but, and all but that. But is there a part of you— that, that that from your childhood or something, because you seem very tough. Yeah. And you don't want anybody to, yeah. you, you're, you're just like, you don't want a lot of sympathy. I'm not good with You don't sympathy. need a lot of attention. You tend to play into <clears throat> it, you know? And they're like, yeah, you you're right, I don't really feel so good. If people don't know anything's wrong, I can behave as if things are okay. And Did you think it was important? Do you feel it was a part of your recovery and your overview of health not to feed into it and think too much about it? Absolutely right. This is not for everybody. People go through this stuff very differently, but this is what worked for me, to keep it private. And only my closest friends knew. And so when I went to work, I didn't – people were like, how are you doing? And going about their business. And that is absolutely what worked for me. Kept me going, kept me busy, and I – I don't know. I did. If I needed to be taken care of a little better, I saw to it that I was. You know, I would go home early or whatever. I I was taking care of myself. Who was I, taking care of you at the time? Friends, my dear friends, uh, were. You weren't married. No. You never been married. Never been married. Never been close. Yeah, a couple times, and I, I. And did you get rid of all those men in your life who were in love with you wanting to marry? Because they wanted to hold the door for you. That's I said. That's enough. To, get you your like, hands off me, dude. <clears throat> yeah, Give me my like, bag. Man. You were like, yeah, I can yeah. carry the bag. What the fuck is wrong with you? I can carry, my, I can what you carry your that bag. Door? What did I tell you about opening that door thing? You know how much I hate that. <laughs> I don't know. What can I say? Was that the key to was, getting yeah. you in the end? Was it the was. guy should just treat you, like, the door my like you like you were my little brother? And then I'm like, exactly. Then Open I'm like, the door ah. yourself. No, I'm home. What do you think I am? What are you? That, that lemonade's not going to walk itself over here. Bring it over here. <laughs> you wanted exactly a Long what? Island. You wanted a guy from back home. <laughs> <laughs> but but for you, family becomes a chapter. The yeah. Next chapter. If you don't mind my asking, how does no. that happen? A bunch of relationships started were, were serious, and there was a lot of talk of kids and marriage. And then the relationship would fall apart for various reasons. And the kid thing started to grow its own kind of roots in me. Cancer happens. I realize I'm not going to die. 
I kind of come out of the stupor and realize I want kids, and I I don't think I'm going to try to find the right man first, and then I just, this feels more prescient, the kid thing. Also, not to mention, like, you, and I hear about this all the time, about women dating, and very early on, they want to know, is this the guy who's going to give me my family that I want? It seemed like a preposterous way to go about things. So I began the adoption process with my kids on my own, once I realized that I was healthy. And that's how my family started. I adopted my son, and then three years later, I adopted my daughter, so uh, it was relatively smooth. I mean, it was completely smooth compared to stories I've heard. Was it a difficult thing, did you say? Because as a woman, as you said, had dated men and contemplated that kind of traditional family, and those relationships ended for whatever reason. And God knows you're successful. I mean, you're one of the most successful actresses in the history of television. And I'm sure you had no shortage of callers. I was— uh, But when you—but but, but, but yeah. I'm not trying to pry, but I'm saying, yeah. it's, it's like, at what point do you sit there and go, okay, I'm not going to wait for that. That, that, that Boom, I'm going to go make this thing happen on my own. Yeah. I'm going to do it for me. When? I think— Was it, it tough? It wasn't tough. No. Like any decision— <laughs> You're very self-reliant. Well, any, defi- any decision I make, I, I, uh, it means it's gone through whatever it's had to go through to kind of come to the, you know, the, the, the unequivocal answer, which was get the paper and start filling them out. That's what you got to do. And once I'd made the decision, it just kind of—the whole thing unraveled on its own. And another thing also is as a child of divorce— and as there are so few successful marriages, I can count on one hand, you know, in my life, what I would consider a successful marriage. Uh, you know, as I was watching friends go through divorce and the sharing of the kids and the fights in front of the kids and the holidays split between the family, it just, I desperately didn't want to give that to my kids. I wanted to know. And that, now that you've raised a family t- this far. Yes. 10 and 6? Yes. They're 10 and 6. 10 and 7. 10 and 7. I, I, are you at this point? I mean, maybe this is being glib, but are you at this point? Yeah, now you're like, you know, who needs a man? <laughs> I, no. I, I got this far without one. Quite who the opposite, actually. Now I realize I've got this whole thing up and running. My kids are secure in my love for them, in the family that I've created, which right. is very unconventional. And that's good. And now I'm like, I can sit back and like, all right, so where where am I now? What do right. I what am I right. about? And what do I need? Right. So I'm, you know, back in this other chapter again, but it, right. it's not about the kids. It's not about trying to create a family. Whatever it turns into, it turns into. But what I have right now is really quite workable. I'm proud of it. And yes. It's complicated. It's not Are you going to let them hold the door open for you? I've gotten much better. Many, better. many years of therapy. And I yeah, have— You're like uh, Annie. You're the Italian Annie Oakley. <laughs> exactly You're right. the Annie Oakley from Bayshore, Long Island. I, I am. I can't help it. It's the way I was raised. Very self-reliant. But it has been, you know, the death of me at times. Um, Hello? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to say this. I'm going to write a book. I'm writing a memoir that's oh, coming wow. out in a year. And in the book, I've got some— uh, interesting things I talk about, and one of which was I celebrated my 30th anniversary Nice. Uh, in February 23rd of this year. Wow. I went out to Los Angeles, which is, was the scene of the crime for is me. Is that right? Uh, and can we talk about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, are you on the record about that? Yeah, sure. Okay. I was wondering what that, how that affected your career. Well, I got sober 23 years ago, and there was really not much of anything going on at the time, and I'm grateful for that, also because you know, the access people have to your life nowadays. Um, I'm just glad there, none of that was going on. Nobody was interested back when I was a mess. Um, 
so I was able to get kind of squared with a lot of that stuff before, before you stepped into the spotlight. Yeah, before anything big was happening in my life. And me so too. I was very, very grateful for the timing of all that. And when you walk into a room in AA, there's not a lot of people who have 25 years. Yeah, that's not right. How many people make it that far? Yeah. I mean, they might be, when they do the hand raising thing, I'm in a room the other day in LA where there was 300 people. And there might have been like six or eight of them that had over twenty years. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. We're the, we're the <clears> old timers now, right. right? Right. We're the old timers, right? Now. Is it still a part of your life? I go on my anniversary, <laughs> which yeah. was uh, last week, and just to announce it. And and uh, no, I'm 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 a Buddhist, which is where, what I what I do now. You are. I, yeah, I spend a great deal of time at the at a Buddhist center in New York, where I, has given my life a tremendous amount of when, when if you richness. don't mind asking, when did that enter into your life? Uh, because you're not the first person I know who has supplanted sobriety and 12-step sobriety with Buddhism or well, a Buddhist type of— there are a lot of, of crossovers. I see a lot of people yeah. that I know from both places. So I see. Yeah. Uh, like 20-something years ago, I, I inadvertently ran into a meditation class, and it was this teacher. And then I kind of wandered away, and then I kind of went back, and it was the same teacher. I thought I was going to some other thing. This happened a number of times. And then— a good five or six years ago, I went back again, and here's the same darn teacher in a different place. And uh, I've been going consistently for, I don't know, four or five years as much as I can. It feeds me in a huge way. How so? What do you get out of it? Well, it's not just sort of mumbo-jumbo spiritual kind of. It's also it's like a science of the mind, really, that was established uh, 2,500 years ago. And I'd, so they've got... They've got history on their side, and I see the people who spend a good deal of time there and the teacher there, they have what I want, you know, the stick with the winners thing. That I, I love AA, but, you know, there are a lot of cuckoos in there. <laughs> you know, and I, I love them because I understand them, but to be in a place where there's somebody who really has something that I want is very meaningful to me. It becomes harder and harder to find that. That's huge, though. And, and, and for you, what I'm wondering, what did it give you? What did it help you deal with or manage? Or Well, single parenting is not for the faint of heart, uh, <laughs> shall I say. You know, you live for 40 years where you're the center of your universe. You know, when you want to get a massage, you go get one. And as you know, that kids enter the picture and it just t- turns your whole life. I mean, you, there's nothing recognizable about it. And it was really a crash course in... in uh, not being the center of my universe anymore. So, and I didn't always handle it great. Spent a fair amount of time just not being okay with the fact that I couldn't control my environment. So a lot of it is about remaining calm, about being patient, about remembering what's important, about patience is, is I think, the biggest part of it. I, I, have, I have a short temper that people may not believe, but, you know, in, in my home environment, yeah, it's not pretty. So... It has helped me immeasurably with that. Describe your son. Cute. <laughs> he's, lovable. He's lovable and blonde. He's a spectacularly amazing kid, and he's been through a lot. And uh, he has some learning stuff and uh, also ADD, ADHD, and all those acronyms, um, which— you know, single parenting under the best of circumstances is difficult, but when you have a kid who's bouncing off the walls and then a kid who's not, who's getting beat up by the kid who's bouncing off the walls, it's complicated and it's difficult. So the little one difficult. is. Yeah, she's the the sort of the, the survivor. Recipient. Yes, yes. The and receptacle. Love. <laughs> energy. So, but, you know, she's a tough kid. She can take care of herself. Come on over here. Let's play sword fights. Yeah, no, no, you're the sword. Um, he's constantly beating the crap out of her. And, you know, she's... Learn to uh, she's learned to kind of make the 
make the best of it, but the fact that she has to is what you, what, part, what is a drag. So, um, But, you know, we all had our stuff growing up and the middle child, and yet everybody, we all have some order in which we were born and the difficulties we had and being the first one or the last one or whatever. And my kids' challenges are not that unusual, but, you know. I say to my daughter, my older daughter, I've said to her recently, I, I said to her, you know, to me, a god or the presence of some kind of force like that in your life manifests itself in the instincts that you have. And I said to her, the minute you get into trouble in this life, in my experience, is when you stop listening to your instincts. Mm-hmm. That's all we can do is try to get them to listen to that voice in them. Because mm-hmm. in the end, they're going to do what they're going to do. That's we, right. We can't make them do what we want to do. It's That's, painful. Boy. It's painful. Shocking, too. I mean, especially in this industry, we have so many people running around, you know, telling you how great you are and, you know, making sure that every, your every need is taken care of. And then you go home and your kids just couldn't care less. Your kids have no idea what who you're you asking. are. They, well, they, they do, but I think they think everybody's parents have some kind of life like this. I don't know. They're exceedingly unimpressed. But, I, you know, just to hang up their damn coat, you know what I mean? They just couldn't possibly care less the way I want the house to look and, I, you know, all that stuff that used to be so important that I'm learning slowly to let go of. Do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? I have no idea. You don't? I don't. There's nothing else you want to do? Uh, I like animals. I always have this fantasy of working with animals. I don't know what. There's certainly nothing that could support the, the homes that I have. So, um, you know, I'll probably end up You want to keep going? I, I do love the, the acting part. It's the, all the stuff around it that, that is difficult. I really don't know. I, I've never known what was going to happen next. As something comes along, catches my eye. It's almost like, oh, look, something glittery. How did you know, Nurse like, Jackie happen? Kind of like that. Uh, Sopranos ended, and I we just started reading scripts, and nothing appealed to me. And I thought, I don't know, maybe I'm done. And uh, I think I just wasn't ready, or maybe there really wasn't anything good. And then I read that one. At the time, it was Nurse Mona. It was written by... Evan Dunsky, and uh, I read it, and it was very dark, And but there was something about the character I liked, and I, it kind of it came to life that way. I was ready. The script changed. It morphed into something that felt better to me, and and that's how it happened. I, I, but I had similar feelings, like maybe I did what I wanted to do with all this stuff. I'm, I don't know. I, mean, I have no idea. I really don't know what the heck's going to happen next. And in the how many seasons? This just finished what season? Seven. Jackie? Seven. Yeah. Go figure. You know, you sign up, you're like, ah, it'll be a couple of years. You have no idea. Crazy. And then uh, during that seven years, and you had the break when you weren't working, did you always take off? You, you shot some stuff? Or you I did, did some plays? So you, or? Yeah, I did a bunch of plays. You and did. I did, I did, yeah. Where? Um, I did one at um, Manhattan Theater Club. I did one uh, with uh, Ben Stiller, House of Blue Leaves. Uh, I did other things which escape me now. But in town, you don't like you no. want to go away. Not if I not if I don't have to. It's different. You have kids in school. It's a different thing. What What's the most successful thing you've done professionally? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, the most success- other than the obvious one. What What were the most successful? Is it the obvious one? Um, n- not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the greatest success I've had professionally is the environment that we created at Nurse Jackie, the working environment. Really? Yeah. How so? Well, that we assume at a certain level of expertise that the people you're going to hire for your ADs and your camera people and stuff, uh, you know, that they're all, they've been working a long time and they're good at what they do. More important to us was that they were manageable and kind after 16 hours or whatever. So we made a lot of phone calls to people who'd been on sets with them after a long day to find out what they would be like. Because, you know, having been around other environments, 
I just feel I, like I've just gotten too old for it, it, no, the it, craziness. It, that's interesting that Nurse Jackie, which you're still doing, that's that's still on the air. That is these epic days. It's long days. Not terrible. Right. Actually, I've had way more epic days. But even a normal day of 12 or 13 hours is still a long day to an average individual. It's a lot of days to spend doing this one thing. But uh, regardless of the, the length of the days, you just want to be hanging with people who are nice. So, and we, we got, so long. Yeah, we, got, we really did a great job with Nurse Jackie. I loved the people. They were nice and respectful. And I read somewhere that you said, you're like Nurse Jackie in some ways and not at all like her in other ways. Well. What are the ways that you are? <laughs> oh, what are the ways that you are like Nurse Jackie? Oh, I don't know. I don't recall saying that, but that doesn't mean I didn't. Well, then let me be the well, first to pose to you. What <laughs> are, are the you ways you are like Nurse Jackie? <laughs> I think she's diligent about her job. I think she takes it seriously. It's important to her to be good at it. She's professional. Professional, but also competent, you know. She knows that she there's very few situations she can't handle. I think that's important to her. And I think it's important to me, too. I don't know. Other than that, we, we veer. I kind of think it's cool that she doesn't really give a shit the way she's perceived. She gets what she needs done. She gets done without worrying about the ramifications, who she might have hurt. I mean, I spend far too much time thinking about that stuff. It has led me to not good places where... So I, I, have to, well, I often thought it would be fun to be more like her in that way. Did you become like any of your characters? No. Never? Not really. Not <laughs> <laughs> really. You know, no. they took off the nails and the hair, or I took off the scrubs, and then it was gone. I don't think so. Never. I don't think so. I mean, maybe other people would tell me otherwise, but I don't know. There's a humanness to Edie Falco's characters. No matter how tough their exterior appears... Her women are vulnerable and fallible, and we can't get enough of them. This is the seventh and final season for Showtime's Nurse Jackie. After that, we'll eagerly await to see who Edie Falco inhabits next. She told me she's hoping for a new play to come her way. This is Alec Baldwin. You're listening to Here's the Thing. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.